you just grab your Bible or Bible app and, and flip or click quickly uh, to Luke 16, verse number 10. And while you're going there, don't forget to download the Calvary Church app because this is the way that we're going to be staying connected with one another. At the end of this month, we will not be giving out worship guides any longer. We will all be using the app. All of the notes, all of the Bible translations, everything right there in your hand. And so if you don't have it yet, do that. I have my Calvary app. It's what I use every day. Luke 16, verse number 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Hmm. Take your hand and set it right here on your heart. Say, eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive, a mouth to confess every good thing Christ has already provided for me. I have told you over the past few weeks that we are building a gospel movement and our mission is simple. That we exist to declare and to demonstrate this good news, the good news of God's grace to everyone, every day, everywhere. We are a church for everyone, every day, everywhere. And I believe that we have arrived at the next stage of a gospel revolution. And there are two ways that we could go from here. One, we could just continue to camp around the foundation of grace, or two, we could now begin, and I sense this is what the Lord's saying today, we could now begin to build on it and see the church becoming a powerful kingdom movement, bringing heaven to earth. In the past few weeks, I've been talking about the things that are critical for the movement. Week one, I talked about believing, and I talked about baptism in water. Week two, I talked about the early church, so I talked about being added, and I talked about being committed, because no one can force you to be a committed Christian. The Bible says that the early church devoted themselves. And we looked at three things in the book of Acts the early church devoted themselves to. And these are the things that I have told you that we are going to devote ourselves to in 2020. And I don't know if these things are flashy. I don't even know if they're popular. But we are devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God to the gospel. We are devoting ourselves to fellowship. Or I said it like this, large church gatherings, or we call them Sunday locations. Opportunities to worship corporately just like this. They committed themselves, devoted themselves to communion and prayer. If you remember, I called that smaller church gatherings, or we're calling them weekday locations or gospel circles. Week three of this series, I talked to you about this, be generous. There was a grace upon the early church to give for the movement. And when you have time, you need to read Acts 1, 2, 3, Look at how this movement began. It's very, very simple. And I've walked this out week after week, talking about how money is essential for the movement. And it's one of the reasons why I talked about prosperity, because it's critical that you prosper. That Greek word for prosperity actually means to be led along a good road, that God desires to lead us along a good road that will prosper us in every area of our lives. Yes, spiritually. Yes, emotionally. Yes, 
physically. Yes, materially. True prosperity, I told you. True prosperity from God gives you, wow, a glorious family life and, and robust peace. Believer, peace is a constant for you. It is not an option. Peace, robust peace, despite the challenges that you may be facing right now. Prosperity means godly wisdom. How many of you need wisdom to make the right decisions in your life? Prosperity that allows you to be a blessing to the local church for the movement. And I told you, church, that we've got to grow up in this truth. We are moving from children to sons, and we need to stop grieving the Father's heart and start receiving everything that He desires to bestow upon it. Everything, and that includes money. Money is essential for the movement, and for this to happen, I said that there needs to be some things that, 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 that happen. One, there has got to be a shift in our prosperity paradigm. I talked about that. And then I talked about this as well, a revelation of God's purpose for prosperity in our lives. And there are three major purposes for your prosperity. But the first thing I want you to do in this atmosphere is just lift up your hands. Would you do that? And I want you to say it out loud. Say, my father. No, say it out loud like you believe it. Say, my father desires that I prosper. Say, I have a good father, and he desires that I prosper. Do you believe that? Now, there's a reason that he wants you to prosper. There's some major purposes for your prosperity. I did not have time to get into this, and I'm not going to teach it, because I've been getting questions. And I want to address those questions today. But one, I would say this, write it down, that our prosperity is what glorifies Father God. That God wants to prosper us because He loves us. He's a good Father. He repeatedly assures us that He wants to meet our needs, that He wants to fulfill our desires, that He gave us those desires. He put them in our heart. Our prosperity gives Him pleasure, and it showcases His love for us. Wow. So what do we reflect about Father God when we're just barely getting by, living paycheck to paycheck and living in debt? Some of you drowning in debt and just struggling to have your needs met. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the one who told us why he came. He said, I came that you might have life and not just any kind of life, but life that is full or life abundantly. How many of you are glad that the gospel gives you your life back? Yeah, that's a good place to clap your hands and give God praise. Come on. The gospel gives you your life back. I would say this. There's another purpose for you to prosper, and it's this, that our prosperity builds character for reigning. Now, I'm going to say something here. Over the past few weeks, I have been using a whole lot of words that I haven't used a lot in the past few years. I have been using a whole lot of kingdom words. Words like dominion. Words like rulership. Words like kingship. And I really started touching on this week three of this series. And if you missed it, check it out. But probably nothing reveals your character as a son, as quickly as how you handle your money. And I want to talk to you today because I love you and I want to talk to you like a father because I believe there's some things that are shifting. And Jesus made it very, very clear that if we can't be trusted with the basic material possessions that he won't entrust us with his greater spiritual possessions, that God uses prosperity to cultivate our, oh my God, self-control, 
God uses prosperity to help us clarify what I'm talking about today. Maturity, spiritual maturity. And as we yield to his grace, our character becomes progressively more Christ-like in the way that we handle our money, in the way that we determine our financial priorities. And that's one of the reasons why I tried to set some things up for you midweek. And we did it all month in October, and I think it goes into November. Is that right? Um, but it's uh, some of these classes that go along with our midweek teaching to help you manage prosperity responsibly. And, um, and I don't know how many more uh, midweeks there are for that, but we have our teaching that goes on. There's one more, so you can connect with the team this midweek if you want to. But we're trying to connect you with the right people to help you in that area, to grow up in that area. But number three, I think this is so important, and, and I'm just going to say it today, and, and we're going to make a strong confession today. But listen to this. Another purpose for prosperity is this, that our prosperity enables us to give for the movement. In other words, our prosperity enables us to advance God's kingdom. And Calvary, I make no bones about it. I am not going to back down. I have no problem talking about it. We have been given the responsibility to advance the kingdom of God, not only here in our city, but you have been called to advance God's kingdom in the DFW Metroplex and beyond, not only in our region, but in our nation and the world. And I don't think the church really understands as a whole that it takes enormous amounts of wealth to do this. There is money to do what we do week after week after week. There is money to take care of what we already have and to steward what we already have. There is money that must be poured into the next generation and support our missionaries and plant new churches and build church buildings and care for orphans and widows and build Christian training centers and establish homes for the homeless and feeding the hungry and clothe the naked and so much more and opening up in cities with gospel circles to take this good news to everyone, every day, everywhere. And you know what I've realized? When we define prosperity as just having our needs met, I don't think we understand the implication of that mindset. Because money, church, is a powerful weapon in our hands to reach a lost and a hurting world. And I think it's pretty clear that God wants to prosper us. Church, you need to start believing this. Prosperity is absolutely essential if we are to fulfill what God has called us to do, what he's purposed us to do on the earth. And God doesn't, if you think I'm talking about God prospering you to satisfy your personal whims or your greediness, oh, come on. While he wants to satisfy our needs, yes, he wants to supply us with abundance to give. Listen, he does not endorse a wasteful lifestyle. If that's what you think when I, what I'm talking about, we're never to look at our possessions for security. If you think that's what I'm talking about, you missed it. Because our possessions are not our security. We put our trust in God, who is our heavenly provider. And he says this, church, he says, I will prosper you, but your prosperity has a purpose. And you better believe it. And, and I'll give you money, but you better realize your money is for the movement. And I will give you provision. Watch this. But that provision is what? For the vision. And I'll give you finances, but those finances better have a focus. If you don't tell that money what to do, watch this, that money's going to tell you what to do. And it is not to control you. You are to control it. He says, I'm going to give you seed, but I'm going to give you seed for the need, and I'm going to give you cash, watch this, but I'm going to give you cash for the cause. 
And I'm about to help you because some of you don't understand why you are not enjoying this prosperous life that is yours. And I'm believing today that you would begin to move into another dimension of trust. Because when I say things like this, when we talk about giving, it is inevitable. I get it. In our culture, there's all kinds of questions. And I'm going to try to address a couple of the big ones today. And, and I want to say this first, that as I address some of your questions, I want you to understand that before I answer them, I want to preface this by saying that the answer to these questions that you've asked me are based on my searching both the scriptures and my own heart before the Lord regarding His will. And what I'm offering you today is my best understanding at this present time as a new covenant preacher based on, yes, my own experiences, my wife and I, but also the experiences of many, many people whom we have counseled over the years. And I also want to say this, that there is no question that is a stupid question. That in a gospel church, you are free to ask questions. How many of you know that God's not afraid of a question? As a matter of fact, he loves it when you ask questions. You want to know why? Because he is the answer. Okay, so, so the first question, when I talk about this, and I'm going to be very, very practical and personal. And there are some things that I'm going to let the team know right now. That as a church, we are a family. Do you believe that? So I'm talking to you today as a family. There's some things that I told them I do not want to air around the world on social media. And I don't want to air on online. There's things that I'm talking to you about as a family. Because there's questions that are asked in a family. Things like this. Well, pastor, when you talk about giving, how much should I give? That's a question. How much should I give? So the question, how much should I give? Before I answer the question, I'm going to start by saying this because I'm a gospel preacher, that a generous father has generous children. It's in our DNA. Now, children, listen. It is in our DNA, and some of us need to grow up from children to sons. How much should I give? That's the question. And I don't say this with any condemnation. But that is the question that children ask. How much should I give? The question is not how much should I give. Honestly, it's not about what you should give. You know what? You want to know what sons realize? It's what I could give. It's the plenty that I could give. And I believe all of us could set a goal to give at least some percentage of our income to the work of the Lord. Now, I'm going to pull the curtain back, and I'm going to talk about our own life. And I don't always do this, but I'm going to do it today. When Kim and I got married 25 years ago, we were 19 years old, and we set a goal as 19-year-olds to give what is called tithe or 10% of our total income. Now, that meant for I want to make this very simple because sometimes in the church we say, well, I gave my tithe. No, tithe, the word tithe means 10%. So here's what I mean by that. If God gave us $10, the first thing we gave to God was $1. Are y'all getting this? For every $100 we received, can you guess what we gave God first? $10. This is a smart class today. For every $1,000 we received, what did we give God? $100. So 10% was our starting point. But here's what I'm going to say to you. That's where we started as children. And I'm grateful that we've grown up as sons. Because we have graduated over the years. We've moved beyond that. And maybe you've heard in the church the word tithe. I don't know, but it simply means what? 10%. Now I'm going to talk to you. The most dogmatic biblical teaching on tithing is found in Matthew 3. Now listen, some of you can't believe I'm even saying it, but I'll tell you right now that you read Malachi's words through the lens of the law, and all you're going to find is curses and blessings for your law-keeping performance. But when you finally read his words through the lens of grace, guess what you see? All you see is Jesus. 
you see Jesus who fulfills the law of the tithe on your behalf and who is greater than the tithe. Don't you ever forget that the greater, watch, the lesser always points to the greater. So under that law-keeping covenant, the tithe was there to what? To remind the Israelites of three things. To remind them of what? A person, a place, and a party. Now, I'm not going to teach on that today. We'll touch on it midweek. But here's what I want to say. That tithing was a shadow. Christ is the reality. And let me tell you something. If the Israelites had been a prophetic people, and if we are to be a prophetic people, we will see that the tithe points to Jesus. Watch this. Jesus is the person. Jesus is the place. And Jesus is the reason for the party. So tithing does not have to be a legalistic requirement, but a very practical, personal, and biblical way that we say we are going to honor God and we're going to acknowledge His loving presence in our lives every day. And as New Covenant believers, we can learn some important principles from the Old Covenant practice of tithing. First, it involved what? Regular giving. And giving as a primary priority not an afterthought it breaks my heart that so many of us are living below our means because we don't give God what is first we give God what is left over and the tithe was concentrated was 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 um, was was actually very important it was consecrated that tithe was consecrated to God and was not to be used for any other purpose it was financial seed and it was set aside for sowing. Now, let me go back to that regular giving. Regular giving is also advocated under the new covenant by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the, to the Corinthians. And I'm going to read it to you quickly. They were receiving an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And Paul gives this guidance. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Saving it up so that when I come, Paul says, no collections will ever be made. I want to read it to you in the Amplified because I really want to teach it. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, each week, each one of you is to put something aside in proportion to his prosperity. And save it so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Stop there. Church, although no proportion is stated, Paul does appear to advise them to what? To receive the collection in advance by the method of what he calls proportionate giving. And what's clear to me is that he advocates regular giving that is directly connected to their increase or to their income. And it's also clear that giving is a universal activity, church, of everyone, 100%. So there is a set amount, set aside money, which means that they weren't to spend everything that they brought in, but always to have reserve to give. And I want to encourage some of you in this place, in this season, to trust God and practice, some of you, what I call graduate giving. And something that I know many people practice, my wife and I have done it, and I don't, I don't, I don't presume to, you know, establish graduate giving as the new covenant way to give, but I nonetheless encourage some of you to pray about using it, and I know you're going to be richly blessed no matter the size of your current level of giving. You need to set a goal to increase over time and see if you don't continue to see the flow of God's blessing. I'm telling you, whatever you do, give regularly, constantly seeking God's direction in your giving, always having something set aside to give for the movement. This morning while I was in prayer and in the Word, I came across a verse of Scripture that I just want to share, Philippians 3.17. And church, if there's anything I could say to you, it would be this. Paul said it to the church. Church, would you mimic me? Would you mimic me as we together impact the lives of many others? Follow my example as I follow Christ. Grow up in this area. Another question that comes to me regularly when I talk about this is this one here, and I want to help somebody, and it's this. Well, where should I give? Now, I'm going to tell you right now that as a local church pastor, 
I may be biased, but I personally believe that you give financially first, listen to me, to your local church where you go to worship and where you are fed. Now, let me be very clear. I believe where you are fed the gospel. Where you are fed new covenant teaching. You give to the place where you are spiritually covered and receive your pastoral care. And I think this, this precedent was established from the very beginning. Is this not interesting? In Exodus 23, it says, You bring the best of the first to the house of the Lord. Can I just say, please, that the instruction here does not say to bring the best of the first to my favorite TV preacher or some parachurch organization, but to the house of the Lord. And now I'm going to be very personal. That over the years, Kim and I have supported many different ministries and ministers, and we still do to this day, but it's always above our regular gift. None of those ministers, none of those ministers have pronounced a blessing over our children. None of those, those, those ministers uh, visited our family in the hospital or gave us pastoral counseling. The, the, the point of that is a, a TV minister isn't going to stand with you in ongoing prayer when you have a crisis. He's not going to perform your marriage ceremony or the marriage ceremony of your children. Or he's not going to do the homegoing service, you know, for a loved one who's gone on to be with the Lord. But the church, the local church, the pastors of your local church will. Now, sometimes I struggle because I don't know how simple to make this for you. So you'll really understand this. But when you eat at McDonald's, you don't pay at Burger King. Where do you pay? McDonald's. Why? Because that's where you got the service. And I believe your first financial gifts belong to the local church you attend. Because what you don't support goes away. It's that simple. And Paul told the Gentile churches that they should support those who ministered to them. Write this down. Write it down. You study it on your own. 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. But I love what, what Billy Graham wrote in his classic book, Peace with God. He said this. The Bible says that it was Christ's love for the church. Hello, church. That's you. That caused him to go to the cross. If Christ loved the church that much, I must too. I must pray for it. I must defend it. I must work in it. I must give to it. I must help to advance it. I must promote holiness in it. I must make it the functional witnessing body of Christ that it is meant to be. That's why I have no problem standing here flat with a mic in a hand and telling you how critical this is in giving to ministries other than the local church. I'm telling you something. You better understand where you're giving, why you're giving, who you're giving to. Because let me tell you something. This church has been committed for over four, nearly 60 years committed to one message, the gospel. Here's another question I get. I can't afford to give, so what do I do? I can't afford to give, so what do I do? Now, this is grown-up teaching. But when people tell me that they can't afford to give because they have too much debt or they're barely making ends meet each month, they say, I got more month than I do money. Do you, know, do you know what I tell them? I simply tell them this. You say you can't afford to give. Let me tell you something. It sounds like you can't afford not to give. Because there is a biblical principle called the law of sowing and reaping. That you have to give God something to work with. And I know that people will find that God, if they will trust God, they will find that God will provide for their needs if they'll only begin to give right. Despite how dire their circumstances may seem, despite what they see, what they hear, what they feel in this natural realm, they got to make a choice that I'm going to trust God. God is my source. I'm going to put Him first. And I'm going to discover that this is true, and this is an important step in what? In you maturing, growing up. But you can only choose to do that. 
No one can force you to do it. Sometimes people tell me that, that when they're making more money, they'll say, well, when I make more money, then I'll start giving. Can I, can I just tell you, if you're stingy with a little, you will be stingy with a lot. And is that why our theme text says this? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Do you know what this is, what I'm dealing with today? This is a heart issue. Your heart isn't going to magically change when you are making more money. Some of you think, well, if I could just make more money. Listen, if you aren't giving now, you won't do it when you have more income. And often when people tell me this, all it reveals is that they're living beyond their means and they don't want to do whatever they have to do to grow up and make adjustments like lowering their standard of living so that they can be regular givers. And I know God will bless them if they do. But again, this is a choice you have to make. And remember what I told you week three of this series, that no one can force you to be a committed Christian. You simply, what did Acts say? You devote yourself. God won't even force you. You have a choice. What's your choice today? Either I'm going to trust God, I'm going to take him at his word, I'm going to obey, and I'm going to stay under the flow of God's blessing, or I'm going to distrust, I'm going to disobey, and watch this, I am going to put a kink in the flow of God's blessing. I hope this helps you. Here's another question I get. I can't give very much because my income is small, so what do I do? This week, on a plane, the Lord began to speak to my heart. I think there are a lot of things that we have defined as success in our life, in ministry, a lot of things that we've defined as success. But I'm about to make a grown statement for you today. True success in the kingdom is faithfulness. And the things that we have called success, I'm not too sure anymore if it really is. As I sat on the plane reading the story of Moses who struck a rock, he struck a rock and water flowed out of that rock so that he could give the Israelites water to drink and their livestock. And millions drank. Now looking at that story, you would say, wow, that's a success story. Wow. He successfully gave millions water to drink. But something caught my eye. God said to him, you will not enter the place of promise. Now, wait a second. It looked like a success. But listen to me carefully. God said, you will not enter the place of promise. Don't miss this. Watch. Because you were not faithful. Watch. I told you to speak to the rock. But you struck the rock. Listen, he broke a type of Christ because the rock had already been struck. Watch, Jesus is only struck once and for all. Listen, believer, we don't strike Jesus anymore. Now we speak. He had broken a type, but the point is this. Some of the things we call success, I don't know if it's success because the reality is I don't know if we're being faithful. full of faith. You say, I know, but there's so much required. But here's what's so awesome about the new covenant. To whom much is given, yeah, much is required. But listen, Jesus is the much you've been given. That's what I love about God is that when he says there's something on you that is required, don't you miss this, he gives you what you need for what is required. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes in the church, if we're so busy looking for the next thing, 
and not being faithful in the thing. If we're on a search for the next thing and not being faithful in the thing. Because there was a, a woman in, um, in Luke 21 and the Bible says she was a poor woman, called her a poor widow. Now you probably wouldn't have called this a success. But the Bible says that when it was time to give, she walked up and she gave two pennies. And all the rich people were walking by giving. And that woman walked up and gave two pennies. And you want to know what Jesus said? She gave more than everyone else. Now wait a second. It wasn't more in the amount. That wasn't the point. The point was what? He saw that her sacrifice was much greater than theirs. Don't you allow, I'm talking to you church, the amount of your gift to make you doubt its worth. As a matter of fact, you give it and you receive God's blessing. You give it and you prepare to receive. I'm bringing us home to make a confession. But someone asked me this, because there's entrepreneurs in this house. And someone asked me this. They said, well, Pastor, when we talk about giving, I own my own company, so should my company be giving? Can I just say this to you? It breaks my heart how some people in the kingdom consider their business to be completely separate from their spiritual life. I don't understand that. The laws of sowing and reaping work for a company the same way they do for an individual. So I have a question for you. When the question is asked to me, I own my own company, so should my company be giving? I say this. My question is, do you want God's flow of blessing on your company? I'll ask that. You can figure that out. The last question is this, and I'm done. What is the for the movement offering? This is it. Next Sunday is a critical day for this house. I have told you now for five weeks. Next week is six. That on November 3rd, this envelope right here that says for the movement is a gift that we bring as an act of trust above our regular giving. This is not our regular giving. This is the greatest gift that we can bring to say, I trust you, God. I have done some things to prepare your heart. I've done everything I know to do. Now I'm going to tell you, God has dealt with my heart this week. And I was lovingly corrected by a good father. I was corrected. And I felt like the Spirit of the Lord said to me while I was sitting on that plane, He said, Ben, you've been striking. You've been striking too hard. When the people need to start speaking. My family is preparing, my children are preparing, our elders are preparing, our staff is preparing, all of our locations are preparing, you're preparing, people are preparing by saving, people have prepared by working overtime, people have prepared all year, some people have prepared by selling something that they can sell to make extra money to bring the greatest gift next week. As we pray together and say, God, we believe you've given us these dreams for 2020 and where we're going as a church, and we know there's money needed for the movement. And this isn't just to do what we do. This is to take us where we believe God's telling us to go. And then we're also bringing next week this little card that I've given everybody week after week. And I said, I hope that you're writing down things that you're believing God for in your life because as a church, I'm opening up and sharing things we're believing God for as a church. 
corporately, but you individually, what are you believing God for? Because next week, we're coming together, and we're going to have a holy moment, and I'm going to share with you where we're going again and what we're doing, and then we're going to have a moment of prayer, and then we're going to bring it forward, and we're going to say, God, we trust you, and we move now for the movement. Here we go. We trust you. And I have done everything I know to do. And honestly, I'm going to tell you, I have worn myself out trying to figure out how to convince people to trust God. I have prepared what we have been in, 36 days of declarations to position your heart for change. Every day we're declaring the word of God, changing our mind about what we believe about God and ourselves because nothing, no behavior will change if you don't first change your mind. Take a look at this. I even tried to help folks. Take a look at this on the screen. This past Wednesday night, are you ready for this? We had over 30 companies representing 1,000 jobs. I said, if I could help people get jobs who are complaining about not prospering, I'll do what I know to do and brought these companies in. And more than half the companies, they're giving out jobs and free background checks. And one employer got back to me this week and said, I got more than double the amount of qualified applicants than any other job fair I've ever been a part of. They said, Calvary is the best. And then check this out. Someone sent me this email. Pastor, I came here looking Wednesday night for a job that would possibly hire me in a couple of weeks. I just want to say thank you, Calvary and God, that I was hired for a new position on the spot and started this week. Next week is a critical week. And I'm going to tell you right now that this week is a critical week. And I couldn't figure it out, but today I saw something clearly. I was wondering, the last six weeks, it's like in the middle of this series as we're talking about the movement. The last six weeks, it's like there has been a holdup. Just a holdup financially, people emotionally, family situation craziest stuff I have been hearing then the local church just the press and strike and it's just like striking striking strike till I'm worn out it's like God says no more striking we're speaking and honestly it wasn't probably the last 24 hours that I personally told the Lord okay Come hell or high water, I'm digging my feet in and I'm trusting God. And I pray that this church will mimic what I do and open up their mouth and declare and open up their lives and become the window of heaven. And out of you will flow the blessing that will touch the world. pray today that you hear my voice and I'm not putting this online because I'm talking to family this is not for the world I'm just talking to family I hope you 11 o'clock I talked to 9 o'clock today there's been a little different flow today at 11 because there was an interesting flow in the beginning as a matter of fact today was more of an interview flow but I just felt like today I needed to talk to you and that you hear my heart today and you understand where your church my church, our church, is at and where we are called to go and what's on our lives and what God's given us and the purpose of this whole thing. That's what this series has been about, the movement. We are the movement. And I'm going to stay in this flow. I believe for the next, I, I just believe for the, I don't know what's going to happen every week, but for the rest of the year, I don't even know. But we are going to trust God. We are going to step out 
we are going to believe God no matter what we see, hear, or feel. And I prophesy that victory is ours in the name of Jesus. Victory is already ours in the name of Jesus. Now here's what I'm going to ask us to do before we make this confession and stop striking and open up our mouth. And here's what I mean when I say that. Going out and trying to work stuff up instead of trusting God and being led by the Spirit of God. And, and, and I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to tell you. In the last 48 hours, the enemy has even tried to tempt me and convince me to stop doing the very things that God told us to do. And some of you, let me tell you something. You're convincing yourself because of what you see and what you hear and what you feel. You are not living by faith. But you are allowing what you see, hear, and feel to determine what you're going to do. And let me tell you something. All that produces is death and the progressive effects of death. And we will never move into everything that's ours in God if we don't trust Him and move by faith. And that's a word for you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So on that word today, I'm telling you, before we make our confession and march out of here, like the sons of God that we are. And by the way, ladies, in the kingdom, there's no gender. We're all sons. If I have to be the bride of Christ, you can be sons of God. Come on. That speaks of our position in the family our rights and our privileges. Will you join me today in our regular giving? And will you trust God today? And will you prepare this week as a family? And I don't care who you are, whether you are single, married, young, not so young, red, yellow, black, white, you're all precious in His sight. Will you begin trust God now Lord we know how to give and today is an act of faith I prophesy today is a shifting day for this house we have just stepped into a new season I declare over families I declare over husbands wives I declare over children I declare over men I declare over women young and old. I declare a prosperity paradigm shift. And I thank you that these people are going to walk in a new authority. And they're going to stop striking and start speaking. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for what you promised. We believe it and we receive it. In Jesus' name, right after we give, we're going to make a powerful prosperity confession. So let's go ahead and worship God right now with our giving. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. Yeah, prophesy that. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Say it again. Come on. I'm going to see Prophesy. a victory. I'm going to see a victory. Yeah. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to One you, Lord. One more time. Declare it. Say it. Victory. We're going to see it. I'm going to see a victory. We're standing on victory ground. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. One more time. Say I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Thank you, church. Go ahead. Stand with me now.
Thanks for going with the flow today. Do me a favor, please. And right there where you're at, before we make a confession, I don't have time to show you all the video and all the stuff and all that you couldn't take it anyway. But I've got one pop-up gospel circle this week. If you live or work in the city of Arlington, there are only, I'm sorry to say this, but there are only five spots left. If you live or work in Arlington, I believe the information's right here. It can be on this big, beautiful screen behind me. I'm going to ask them just to put that information up. You just simply text ARLGC to 469-260-8130. November 4th, Grapevine, Colleyville. December 9th, Louisville, Flower Mound. And then in 2020, we will be launching in cities everywhere from L.A. to New York. Come on, somebody. Everywhere. Everybody needs the gospel. Come on. So, that's all you do. Lift up your hands. Stop striking and speak. We're going to speak this, this confession together. I get it, y'all. I, I blew the order today. Everything's out of whack, but it's all good. How many of you received today? Okay, here we go. Ready? Say it. Father, I thank you that you desire to lead me along a good road that will prosper me in every area of my life. Although Jesus was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for my sake so that by his poverty, I could become rich beyond measure. I am prospering in my mind, in my body, in my spirit, and in my finances. Whatever I do prospers. Father, I confess that I walk in your favor. You delight in my success and prosperity. With you, all things are possible. I walk every day expecting your favor and success to be upon me. I'm blessed coming in bless going out. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above, not beneath. I thank you, Father, that Jesus has redeemed me from the curse of lack, poverty, and want. I'm blessed because of him. I confess, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. You are what? I'm. You are what? It's my prosperity that enables me to give for. If you believe it, clap your hands and give God praise. Come on, give him a good praise today. Lower floor, upper tier, I love you. Have a great week. Go be the movement. I'll see you right back here for For the Movement Weekend. Love you, church. Have a great week.